connecting to the AOC Podcast Network. Enjoy your stay. AOC will hold a four-day video production summer camp aimed at getting students to tell their own life stories in documentary style on July 20th through 23rd from 9 a.m. to noon. Students ages 12 to 17 can register for this camp for $100 per student. At the camp called Beyond the Selfie, students will use digital media to plan and create video audio biographies based on personal photographs. The final result will be a short documentary-style film based on campers' personal narratives. Students will learn to use proven cinematography techniques, as well as AOC's advanced production gear and software. At the end of the camp, students will screen their finished projects and take home a copy of their work to show others or to upload to social media websites. To register for this camp, go to aocinc.org, stop by AOC, or mail payment to AOC at P.O. Box 5158, Lafayette, Louisiana, 70502. For more information about this camp, contact Nancy Judice, AOC Marketing Director, at njudice at aocinc.org or call 337-232-4434, extension 216. What is AOC? What is community media? Maybe these are small questions, but they have big answers. So big, in fact, that we had to make a whole podcast about just that. The short answer is in our mission statement, building an informed and engaged community through media, technology, and education. I'm Matt Roberts. On this week's episode, I'll talk with Russell Cormier, one of Lafayette's hardest working artists and producer of HGTV here on AOC. Nancy tells us about community media and why it's yours for the making in this week's AOC FAQ. If you follow music at all, you might know the name Russell Cormier. From an early start in Zydeco to playing with True Man Posse and later founding Homegrown Reggae, Russell came through some hard times but found himself in a place of peace and love. He tells us a little bit about love, loss, and learning lessons the hard way. Oh, sure. I'm Russell Cormier. I'm a revolutionist. I'm a humanitarian, a grandparent, a father. I'm a human being. Uh, I try to keep as busy as I can every day, and I try to do as much as I can every day. My day starts at 5 o'clock in the morning, and it doesn't end sometimes till 12, 1 o'clock at night. How do you manage that? How, do you, how much sleep do you say you get a night? I try to get six hours. I've learned over the years that six hours is good enough for me. It's the perfect amount. Eight is too much. Ten is way too much. I do have these periods where I sleep in. Well, I'll sleep till 5.45 or <laughs> 6 o'clock. But, you know, I do have periods where I get tired. 
everybody gets tired. Body-wise, physically, uh, I think the worst tiredness that I get is mentally because I'm like a fighter. I fight against different things like oppression and uh, hatred and different things every day. And when you fight against these things, it's like it's only a few of us, but there's a lot of them. You know, there's a lot of hateful, wicked people. And it seems like sometimes like you're one man walking against a million. And so I get tired and then I want to quit. And then I have to find things like good people like y'all who encourage me that I am somebody and I'm making a difference. And so I keep on fighting. And then some, sometimes I have to go and I have to rest and recuperate and to get back in that fight again. Because it's a constant fight every day. I think if I wouldn't have the fight, I'd die. But I write songs, and I've had people who told me, Russ, your song healed me. I had a drug addict one time who told me, my, one of my albums he listened to that a friend of mine gave him saved his life, sent him to rehab, and he cleaned his life up, and he's been clean ever since. I never like think of myself as that good of a weapon, but I guess at that time it showed me, like I said, it was something that showed me, okay, Russ, get back in the fight. You're making a difference, even in one person. Was that what you set out to do with the music? I wanted my, when I write an album, I wanted probably my critics and my enemies to hear it because I wanted to send that message mostly to them and I guess to heal the good people that needed the healing, but more so. I think the drive a lot of times with most of my albums being at Revolutionary Music was for my critics, those who said I couldn't, uh, the hateful people who said I shouldn't for them to hear it. I figured I've already got the good people on my side. I want to try to win over some of the bad people to prove them wrong and hopefully turn them the, the, the way that I'm going. People, we tend to like the negative more than we like the positive, and my music is mainly positive, you know. I think negativity is easy. To be something good and to be something positive takes work. And a lot of people in our society today are lazy and they don't want to put the work in that it takes to be good. Listen, I've come from a bad side of life. I've done the bad things so I can talk about why I'm good. A lot of people just read books about it or, you know what I'm saying? They really don't know the life that some of us have lived. You know, I've, I've, I've sinned, I've sold drugs, I've lived in adultery, I've did all these things that makes me know that I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to live that kind of life anymore. It wasn't right. I've hurt some people by living that kind of life. I want to live a different life, and I don't want to be around them kind of people who live that life anymore. Experience has made me who I am today. Was there, was there a point when that switch flipped? With the drug addiction, it happened because my wife left me. She was my best friend. She left me and she took my kids. Wow. I didn't realize it at the time because I was high and I was numb. I didn't care. Well, after a little while passed, it was like, hey, dummy, you're empty now. What you living for? And I looked a little 20-minute high on some crack, and it took away a lifetime of your wife and children. Yeah. So I fought to cure myself of addiction and tried all kinds of things that didn't work. It happened in an instant, and I've never did the drug again. I was in my mom's bathroom. I was smoking crack. You know how you do an airplane when you stand up and you smoke marijuana and you get that airplane, that dizzy feeling? Well, I did it with a crack pipe, and when I stood up, I fell onto the face bowl, and I looked oh. at myself in the mirror, and I saw a monster. Wow. My face was like a skeleton, like it was... 
I wasn't, I didn't have the full, I actually saw me that day for what I really was. Junkies, drug addicts don't look at themselves. They don't wash themselves. They hardly look in mirrors. They're always out seeking another high. They don't care about their appearance. That day I looked and saw my appearance. Scared the crap out of me. I dropped the crack pipe. My mom screamed, boy, what you doing in that bathroom? I ran to the telephone. And I had been talking to my wife. Even though we were separated, we were still dating. We still, you know, different <laughs> little things. But she'd always tell me. So I said, let's go back home. Let's be a family. And she said, no, you're not ready yet. No, you're not ready yet. That night... I called her right after that happened, that instant. I grabbed the telephone and I said, baby, I'm ready. You know what she said? Okay, let's do it. She knew. So them kind of revelations that I knew that man, that some higher power had to have done, that man couldn't have did. But God made that happen that we got back together. We had a good life after that. But then some things, okay, although I cured the addiction, some things, some things I still continue to do. You asked me if it was a gradual thing. Some things were gradual. Some things were, that was in an instant. You know, that was, that happened, bam, just like that. And I started gradual growing process. in a different direction. Being a musician, they stereotype us as uh, drug addicts anyway. And, yeah, right. You know, and and uh, adulterers and this and that. And yeah. I did live that side of it. Yeah. But that's not what I was in the music business for. I didn't have to be in the music business to be that. I just liked playing music, and that was some of the perks. Uh, a lot of years after that point where I cured myself of drug addiction, in that instant, when I got to that, uh, we had got through some years, then God taught me another lesson because I was still, I had a fascination with women. I like girls, and girls like me. And so he took away my best friend. In the middle of the night, she passed away. And then so now here we go another learn. I think the thing is this is that Matt is that we never stop learning. And I love that. I love that. I hate that that was a hard lesson of losing her yeah. and some of the other hard lessons that I've had, but is the fact that when you stop learning, well life is over. Yeah. What's next after that? After you stop learning, what what, what are we going to do next, you know? I have two grandkids, 8 and 3 years old, so it's like my life is still going on through them, you know, yeah. so it's more learning, it's more teaching, you know, so that's, you know, in a nutshell, that's pretty much where I am, you know, like right now in my life. When you started to change your lifestyle or when you, and when you started to grow, did you have any trouble going back to the music after that? Because a lot of times the lifestyle and the, the art is so intertwined. Yes. For four years, my wife and I went back and forth, her telling me, you love music, Russ, go back and play. People would come to my door every day. Uh, that's how I started playing with True Man Posse, who's a, which is a, around here, they're like a legendary yeah. reggae band. And how I started playing with them was every day Walter would come to my door and knock to my door. And I'd be like, bro, get away from here. I hung my guitars up. I don't play no more. And this Zodico band from um, Cecilia, um, Gilbert and his wife, I forget what his wife's name, she passed away. And they would come and knock, hey, I don't play music no more. And I'd be working in my flower bed, more in my little yard. they pull up in their little van. Pop, pop, hey, Russ, we, we're looking for a little bass man or a little rhythm guitarist. You want to come play? And I was like, for four years, I did that. And finally, one day, she said, boy, you know you love music. She said, I've been watching you. Because I was afraid that if I would go back to the music business, that I would go back to the same things that I was doing before. I'd go back to the drugs. The drugs mainly was what I was worried about, you know, going back to doing good man. I mean, drugs are 
everywhere That's, not even in the music business but it's everywhere but then when you when we be at gigs and different stuff people offer us so many different things just to be in the limelight with us they wanted to be on the stage or in the dressing room or whatever so hey look russ i got this for you i didn't know if i could handle the temptation and I'm just being honest. And I didn't know if I was like that. And she said, well, you know what? You're a strong person. She said, think of it like this. Think of it that you had the strength to just quit because you wanted your family back. So think of it that you got the strength to stay quitting and keep your family. And so I signed on with True Man Posse. And I played with them a lot, a lot of years. And I never did a synthetic drug. I didn't fight that hard to get her and my kids back to mess it all up yeah. for some guy in a band. You know, I mean, I like guitars, I like music, I like, you know, being out there and playing every once in a while, but I mean, it wouldn't work my family. I mean, even today, when I sing a song and I play, I, I normally close my eyes and I'm normally thinking about like her or my mom or somebody, you know, that's my, you know, they inspire me. And so they're always gonna be, you know, in my, in my life, in my heart, you know. I grew up in Lafayette on Short Street and they call it Short Street because it's very small. Only one car can pass at a time. <laughs> and then I moved to Washington Heights. We were a large family. We started off life, I like to tell this story because a lot of people uh, don't realize where some of us come from. We started life, we were 12 people in a two-bedroom house. And we had one bathroom. Seven of the people in the house were girls. Okay, think about girls in one bathroom. Seven girls in one bathroom, little bitty bathroom. <laughs> you know, so that's how we started um, life. And uh, we moved, then we moved to a three bedroom house and still got, well, we had two bathrooms. But still, the point is, you know, we didn't start off, you know, in this big old house. My dad raised us, all of us, with the little income he had and the little bitty house that he had. And today people look for so much big, you know, big, big things to happen so yeah. quickly in their lives when, you know, you have to, he, he taught us that you have to start off, you know, small and, and build whatever it is you want to, you know, you want to become, you know. And you can still fall off even with a good upbringing like I did, you know. Um, I think that, you know, when I grew up, life was a lot, a lot simpler than it is today. Although I had opportunities like to do big big things and it came you know as i got a little bit older but when i was young i don't think i even thought about big things i enjoyed the simple life yeah i, I really enjoyed the young simple life that i had as i got older a little bit older in high school and stuff i played sports so you know you start thinking about hey i could have a career in sports oh well maybe no you're too short you know you're not gonna cut it and then i started playing guitar when i was like 16 so you start thinking about oh man all these people here are starting to get like a uh, notice down here in Louisiana where maybe I can get a recording contract or, you know, stuff like that. So um, at that point, I think when I was getting to like into my teens and early 20s, yes, I started thinking maybe a little bit big. Yeah, because I had a chance, you know, with yeah. a Zotico band to sign with a big company at that time and it didn't pan out. Uh, we got the shaft. We had a great album. That album is still on the market today. It's being sold. It's called Bayou on Fire, Russell Garden and the Versatile Zydeco Kings. And they sold it overseas, but they supposedly scrapped it in the United States. So evidently what they had, I learned later. Listen to me, kids out there. Learn the music business before you sign a contract. What they had was international copyrights. 
You see, you can copyright something here in the United States or register it or license it, but you also have foreign licenses. What they had was a foreign license, and they knew that we wasn't going to search that. There was no computers at that time, early 80s. You know, there was no, you know, way of us tracking that, and they were selling the album overseas. My brother-in-law was playing basketball overseas professionally. He told me he saw me on some big screen performing. I was like, man, you crazy. He said, I'm telling you, I saw you performing. And years later, the drummer who was on that album with me, he bought the album from a DJ in Europe. So, wow. they, so they had been selling the album in Europe, but they just made us believe that the album was scrapped, that it was no good. So that was my first opportunity signed with a major label and it didn't happen and I became a drug addict. And I'm not going to blame it on that, but I mean, it just made me kind of depress me. So I thought that drugs was going to cover it up and make me better so I could get another contract. And then I got with the band in reggae and then we got national notoriety. People started looking at us and they were like, oh, true man, posse, this bad cats, they can go somewhere. We started getting write-ups in magazines. And then I recorded a song called Jamaica Me Crazy, which was a hit song. Everybody loved it. (laughs) But I never made a dime. So twice I got it. But that time I didn't become a drug addict. I didn't. I was with my wife and we were together and I was past all the drug things and how did it you just, cope with that one? What was Well, it just kind of made me shy away from bands and people. And I became an artist by myself in my studio. And I went to my studio, and I can play pretty much any instrument a little bit. Not mm-hmm. greatly, but I can play it enough to record. And with the software and the technology today, you don't have to be a great musician to write a hit, to make a, 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 to make a good song. Uh, songwriting is a different thing. I mean, I had that gift of songwriting since I was 16 years old. I wrote my first song when I was like 16. So I had the songwriting capability already, and then I started learning from a friend of mine, computer software technology. And I went and I started recording my own songs, and I started putting out my own little albums, Bootleg One Productions. <laughs> you know, Louisiana, the boot, the leg, you know. Bootleg One Productions, and I didn't care if, I started not caring if, you know, it was legitimate or not, just didn't want to be associated with no company, no nothing, just independent, like today, most of these independent, I love these independent artists, independent from these companies who, like, they steal your soul, your talent, your everything. And I'm happy for all these kids and everybody because of what I went through, you know, with the music industry and everything. And now I just make music. And then I created a little company called Homegrown Reggae, Homegrown Music. That's where I am now. And it's never the same band. Some of the band members, you know, they always been with me. Uh, Two cats from True Man Posse, Terry and Wayne, they still with me. Uh, My bass player, Trey. And they're like just like great people. And when we play a gig, it's beautiful. It's not about business. It's not about money. It's about we got out the house that night and we went out there and we touched somebody. You know, somebody like you look at Facebook the next day or Instagram and they'll say, oh, that was a great show last night. I needed that because I had a rough week at work or something like that. And that's what music is supposed to be, especially reggae music is healing. You know, so I feel like now I'm healing the world. And I want to say dub three seven. They're a little reggae band from here. I never knew they had a reggae band in last year. that name again for me? Dub 3-7. Okay. They, I met them through Chad Fuque. And I went out and I, and I helped them one night. They asked me to go out and help them. And 
I've had a regular gig since. Nice. Yes, and uh, I went and helped this guy. He was going to Uganda to do some work with some orphans. He said, Mr. Russ, you know, and can you come out? You know, you're the old grandpa of reggae, I guess, you know, and you, <laughs> can you come out? And I didn't mind that. I, I mean, I kind of embraced that. I like that. That's who I am is who I am. And so I went out there and I helped him. And ever since I've been playing at this club, and this club loves me, and they want me there, like, real often, but I can't do it. Um, okay. So I go out, like, twice a month or something like that. And now you leave them wanting more. Exactly. That's, yeah. That's right. That's right. And so we do twice a month. And it's like hippies and college kids, and it's perfect. It's right in our element, you know, right in my nice. element. I mean, I love it. It's nice. The red carpet us. They treat us like, and we're always the closer. I mean, there's been bands that we should have opened for, and they let us, they let them open for us. And I'm like, you sure? They think we're like some new band, and now they're finally discovering that we're actually the old True Man Posse. Right. And so I met these little cats, Dove 37, and they've been like resurrecting my career for the last probably four, five, six months. Nice. Yes, and, and I really, you know, and I'm enjoying, I'm actually enjoying music again. That's you awesome. Know? Yeah, I'm enjoying music again, and it's not pressure. It's no pressure. It's no nothing. Because I, I really don't, you know, I say this all the time. People tell me I'm stupid, but I don't care about money. Money gets people in a lot of trouble. You know, when I go out to play music to that gig, I want the people that came with me to get paid mm -hmm. because if they need to get paid because they traveled or whatever. But for me... I got a job, I work, and I make a decent living. I'm no rich cat, but I make a decent living, I'm all right. So when I come out that house, I just want to take my guitar for a spin, have me a few drinks, have a nice time, and heal somebody. If I touch one person in that audience and I see it on Facebook the next day that that person had a nice time, that was a good day. What's the easiest way to find your music, Russell? Where um, we right Google, now, we I think we still got some on iTunes. I think we still got some. Uh, Reverb Nation is the best place. Reverb Nation has the majority of my songs. And we want to search for Russell Cormier. Yes, Russell okay. Cormier's Homegrown Reggae or Russell Cormier something. Okay. Reverb Nation. Every Thursday, my premiere, 9 o'clock every Thursday. Okay. Homegrown TV. Homegrown television. Thank you again, Russell. Oh, yeah, I man. appreciate Thank you. you so much. Thank you. Oh, yeah. I appreciate it. Believe it or not, Russell and I talked for even longer. Stay tuned to the AOC podcast for part two of his interview. Search for Russell Cormier's homegrown reggae to see and hear more of his art. You can find this song, Live Up, at Russell Cormier's homegrown music page on Reverb Nation. Don't want to see no screw face hang around. At Orientation, discover the benefits of joining AOC, all that can be done at AOC as well as how to successfully reserve the use of AOC's resources. A brief rundown of the studios, editing lab, and portable equipment available is included in the orientation. This free workshop is a prerequisite to reserving any of AOC's portable equipment or facilities. AOC will host orientation on the following dates this summer, Thursday, June 11th. Tuesday, July 7th, and Thursday, July 23rd. You can sign up for this class right now.
at aocinc.org. It's time for an AOC FAQ. AOC is Lafayette, Louisiana's premier nonprofit media center with television channels on Cox Communications 15 and 16 and LUS Fiber 3 and 4. On Cox Communications, we air in Lafayette, St. Martin, Vermilion, Acadia, and Iberia parishes. While on LUS Fiber, we only air in Lafayette Parish. So let's go back because I'm still speaking a foreign language to many people who are not familiar with the term media center. Because cable companies were using public infrastructure to deliver their product, laws were passed in the early 1970s that required cable companies to provide access television channels for public, educational, and governmental use. In 1982, AOC became the local access point for public, educational, and governmental use, PEG use, in Lafayette Parish. More than 30 years later, AOC is a vital part of Acadiana's infrastructure, serving its residents, local government, schools, and nonprofits on a daily basis. These groups use AOC to create their non-commercial messages and then to distribute this information to the community. As a 501c3 organization, AOC supports its community in a number of different ways. We give residents access to digital media equipment, and television studios so that they can express their opinions and creativity freely. We educate our community through workshops, online resources, and an experienced staff. We teach local students how to understand what they see in media and how to use media equipment to be creators of content themselves. We air local government and school board meetings to keep our community informed and engaged. We support local nonprofits by giving them airtime and resources to build awareness of their causes. Through all of these activities, our ultimate goal is to build an engaged and informed community through media, technology, and education. In all of this, though, you can't forget that AOC First seeks to preserve our community's ability to express its opinions and creativity freely. AOC supports your freedom of speech which is a fundamental element of a functioning democracy. producers, volunteers, and members will be honored at this year's Viddy Award Ceremony on Thursday, June 18th at the Petroleum Club. Doors will open at 6.30 and the program will start at 7 p.m. Tickets are $25 per seat. Dinner is included. Tickets must be purchased before Friday, June 12th. Purchase tickets online or in person at AOC.
AOC Podcast is produced by AOC Community Media. Contributors include Ed Bowie, Deborah Duyon, Joe Boozy Ferguson, Nancy Judice, William McFarlane, and Stephen Skip Shannon. This week's episode was edited and hosted by me, Matt Roberts. Music in today's episode, Live Up by Russell Cormier's Homegrown Music, Undercover by Citizen NYX, Never Heard a Rhyme Like This Before by Scott Altham, The Long Goodbye by John Pasden. AOC Community Media is located at the Rosa Parks Transportation Center, 101 Jefferson Street, Suite 100, Lafayette, Louisiana, 70501. For more information, go to our website at aocinc.org. Call 337-232-4434 or email info at aocinc.org. Until next time, stay informed and engaged. Thank you.